0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Welcome. Glad you are here. All of you who are here in the room, present right now, welcome. Thank you for being here to, at One Cause Church. Also want to welcome all of our viewers, though those who are with us by live stream. God bless you. And thank you for being a part of our service today. And also to you faithful podcast subscribers I love you very much, and I pray God's best to you, and uh, we're going to have a great, great service. I want you already, it's already so far so good. Let me just say, as a preacher, this is the kind of service, it's easy to preach after all of that good stuff. I mean, if you can't preach after that worship, like, you just go home, take a nap, because I mean, wow, you guys were awesome today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you doing, doing an awesome job. Um, I want to thank Roth and Kristen Alvarez who bought me this little espresso cup that says you rock. So, cheers. And it has, oh yeah, espresso, room temperature espresso you can almost chew. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Today I want to, well, I've titled this message, That's What You Get. Now, most of the time when you hear that phrase, that's what you get, it's usually in a negative connotation. Come on. How many of you parents have said that to your children? Or maybe your parents (laughs) said that to you, that's what you get, right? There was even like a little nursery rhyme, something like that's what you get for jumping on the bed. Ten little monkeys. Isn't that right? (laughs) Bobby's with me. Bobby's nodding along. I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. Uh One fell off and bumped his head. Took him to the doctor and the doctor said that's what you get. Oh, no more monkey. I thought you said that's what you get for it. I learned it in Oklahoma, so we have broken English up there. Okay, so <laughs> There's a big disconnect across that Red River. So anyway, that's what you get. So here, what we're going to find from the scriptures is really an amazing, amazing, amazing things that you get. First of all, We have to recognize and to identify who we are. You can't know who you really are until you find out what the Bible says about who you are. Because you'll have a lot of ideas about who you are. And much of that comes from your upbringing, your family, uh, what you think about you, what others have said about you, what you do. Right? I mean, in, in greeting one another, if you meet somebody for the first time, you're pretty quick in that conversation to say, so what do you do? And we define each other who we are by many times the things we do. But the Scripture does not define you in that way. It does not define you by what you do. It actually defines you by what Jesus did for you. And your life is hidden, the Scripture says, now in Him. Those who have faith in Him, we all have a choice to believe this or not. But for those who do believe, we made an exchange. We made an exchange with Jesus This Christian life is an exchange life. Amen. So uh, we've talked about this many times. We're going to continue to because it's the, the glorious good news that we just can't get over. One of those aspects of the exchange is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, He made him, that is God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this is much better than just a surface kind of experience. Religion is a surface experience, but this is an exchange. You were this, now you're this. This is not something that is is action-based or performance-based. This is condition-based because we were dead in sins, but now we are alive in Christ. See, sinning, the actions of sin was just the symptom of the condition of sin. So Jesus came and became sin so that our condition could change. Thank you, Jesus. That we could become the righteousness of God, not just people who do righteous things. That now is the product, the fruit of who we are now in him. And when you know who you are, guess what? You'll know what to do. But you can't really know who you are until you find out who he says you are. And now he says, because if you've made this exchange, you're the righteousness of God in him. So you get... What's the title of this message? That's what you get. Okay, that's it. That's what you get. That's what you get. So you, being the righteousness of God, we're going to find out from Romans 5 what you get. As a product of the righteousness which comes by faith in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let's just say, yeah. Let's just thank Him for that right now. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's what you get. You get justification. You get justification. Justification settles your past. Justification is just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's a judicial term. It's like you never did anything wrong. It settles your past. We have peace with God. Everybody say peace. Peace stabilizes your present. Stabilizes your present. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and watch and rejoice in hope. That is, we're looking forward. Grace secures your future. Grace secures your future. That's what you get as the righteousness of God in Christ. Justification, peace, and grace. Now, these are just a few aspects that we're going to cover today. Certainly, this isn't the whole justification as if you'd never sinned. Now, that's hard to imagine because how many married people are here? Uh-huh. Okay. You're married here. Uh, then, then we have a tendency as married people, even though we love our spouse very much. You love your spouse? Come on, let me hear you today. All right. Even if you got a lie. So <laughs> you love yourself. Even though you love one another, but we still have a tendency from time to time to remind our spouse or be reminded by our spouse of our wrongdoings. And they can hit at the most inopportune moments. (laughs) And as parents, I know my parents like to remind me from time to time about what a joy I was to raise. (laughs) Easy, perfect, every day of my life. Sometimes they'll remind me of that. I know my mom loves me. I know my dad loves me once in a while. They like to remind me of some of the wrongs. They don't hold it over my head. But this justification speaks of an expungement of our record of wrongs. Which means God keeps no record of wrongs. And Jesus thoroughly removed that record of wrongs. When he became sin. This is a glorious thought. So God is not holding your sins against you. He's not remembering your wrongs. He won't bring those things up. How can he recall something he doesn't remember? Because one verse says that he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, which is infinitely apart, and remembers them no more. See, oh man, we've got to see what he sees. You need to know what he knows, if we're really going to enjoy the benefits of really going to get this righteous effect that he has given to us. There's a story of a wealthy American man who went over to Europe some time ago to purchase one of the finest cars. He ended up over in England and purchased a Rolls Royce. And so he drove this Rolls-Royce around and even wanted to tour further over in in Europe. And so he had them ship this across the English Channel over into France. He gets over into France and gets in his Rolls-Royce to drive around there. Well, the car breaks down on him. So he contacts the company and tells them the issue. A few hours later, there's a technician from Rolls-Royce there and who raises the bonnet. We call it a hood, but on a Rolls-Royce, it's a bonnet. And... Fixes the, fixes the engine, and tells the man he can go. The car's done. The man says, okay, well, what do I owe you? And he says, you can square that up with the company later. So the man continued his tour around Europe in his Rolls Royce, and upon finishing his tour, he shipped that Rolls Royce, as well as himself, back to America, and waited, waited, and waited for the bill to show up for this repair. Well, a bill never showed up. Six months later, he finally decided he would call them, and so I uh, talked to a representative from Rolls-Royce and said, I, uh, about six months ago, I was over in Europe and my, the car broke down and I had you sent a technician from London all the way over there to France. And I know that costs a lot of money. I just need to square up with you. They said, sir, we don't have any record of a technician coming uh, to fix your car. And he says, what do you mean you don't have a record of a technician? There's got to be somewhere. I mean, that was an expensive trip. They said, sir, we don't have any record of that. As a matter of fact, we don't have any record that any Rolls-Royce has ever broke down. It does God no good to hold your sins against you. Not when he has declared that you're the righteousness of God in him. Either the work is finished or it's not. But my family, it's finished. The work is done. His wrath has been satisfied in his son. So now when he sees you, he sees a glorious, glorious, righteous people. God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Not imp- That's how he reconciled the world to himself. He got over the sin problem. Yeah. Did you know he really did? He really did. If he didn't, he's not just. If he didn't, Jesus didn't quite finish the work. But he did. Yeah. And the work's finished. Yeah. Thank you. You've been justified. Thank you. Justified. Yeah. Justified. Freed. Yeah. Freed. No charge of guilt against you. Praise, Praise God. God. Let's look at Romans 4 for just a moment. Romans chapter 4 verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. So this righteousness that has been imparted to you and I does not come because we behave so well. It comes through faith in Christ. Okay, verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Oh, blessed is the man to whom the Lord, watch this, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute Sin. Now, I want you to notice for, for just a moment what it does not say. Sometimes it's good to see what it doesn't say so that you can get the power of what it does say. All right. It does not say, blessed is the man who does not sin. It says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. See, if a man doesn't sin, and then God does not impute sin to him, well, where's the blessing in that? He earned that. Right? That's a wage. You don't, there's no blessing in getting wages for your work. But this said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That means if you sin, he will not hold it against you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. See, grace offered to us who have sinned and God refuses to acknowledge it because Hebrews 10, 14 says, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Oh, thank you, Lord. Why don't we take a moment now and thank him for that. He has perfected. You didn't perfect. He perfected. Not you. He did. He perfected forever those who are being sanctified, those who are in process and yet perfected at the same time. By one offering, not your offering, not your sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's own son. See, this is the gospel. This is the beauty. This is the good news. What is that good? Christ died for your sins. You don't have to die for your sins. Christ died for your sins. And he was buried. That means he carried your sins far away. And he rose again from the dead, which means he closed the issue. That means they can never come and find you again. You've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his love. The kingdom of light. Amen. And he reigns. Jesus reigns victorious over you. So much so that this salvation that he brings takes you all the way to heaven. Jesus did not die for you to be good. He died for you to take you to heaven. (laughs) And as a result of that, when you awaken to that truth, guess what? You'll be good. Why? Because love, he didn't die for you to keep you in, you in line. Love keeps you in line. Love keeps you in line. Love keeps you wanting to do the right thing. When you really embrace the magnitude of his love for you, you, you will want to love him in every way. Nobody wants to love someone or really, dare I say, would be willing to love someone who demands it of them. Ladies, am I talking to you? I've never met a lady who would love a man who demanded her to love him. I demand you to love him. I'm not going to... I mean, think about it. Even God learned a lesson. You know God learns? He knows everything. Yeah, calm down for just a second. I know he does know everything, but he also likes to learn. He also likes to learn. Jesus learned through obedience. He learned lessons. The scripture says that he waxed value. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He became a man. And, the, and, and there's some things that Jesus learned that he was able to communicate to the Father that, that I think helped really, bri- he did bridge the gap and help us understand one another in a much greater way. Yeah. God in the Old Testament, and you can still read it today, and I, unfortunately people are still quoting this as if this, this is the relevant right now f- thing. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Yeah. But you know what? They didn't love him. He demanded it, and they didn't love him. You read the Old Testament, and you see this phrase over and again, the fear of the Lord, 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 the fear of the Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord." And you we get to the New Testament, it's the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus said something most unique to the Father when he was hanging on that cross. He said, Father, forgive them. Watch. They know not what they do. Lord, Father, right. you, you're demanding them to love you. They don't know. They don't know. But see, now we know. Because... He is not demanding love. Now he has made his love irresistible to us through his son. You love someone because they are irresistibly lovable. And he showed the greatest expression of irresistible love. You know, think about this too. Because if we don't grab a hold of this love, and don't understand the peace that we have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to feel like we need to keep making for peace. You know, when I was growing up in our church, uh, this is the the thing we heard all the time. You got to get right with God. Got to get right with God. Got to get right with God. So I never felt like I was right with God. No matter what I did, I always felt like there's something else. There's something else wrong with me. There's something else wrong. So I have to keep trying to get right with God. However, whatever that means. So I was afraid. I was so afraid as as a child. I I was so fearful of God because I never felt like I was measuring up. You gotta get right with God. You gotta, hey. (laughs) I tried. I failed. Jesus got me right with God. Jesus, through him, I have peace with God. The word erene, it's the Greek word erene. It means the end to the rage and havoc of war, a state of national tranquility. Isn't that glorious? The war is over. It's over. Jesus finished it. And he for this purpose the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He disarmed him. He took the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that law of commandments that was against us. He took it out of the way, the scripture says, nailing it to his cross. Now what, does, what has this offered us? Bold access before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have peace with God. You have peace with God. Let me tell you something, believer. This condition of righteousness is so amazing. It kind of... Uh, Blows everything else out of the water, some of the old way of thinking. And maybe you still have some of this thinking, but I want to help kind of uh, punch that out of you today, all right? And and it's this when you read the Gospels and the book of Acts, you see the word disciple throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. But you know what happened after the book of Acts? The word goes away. You don't see the word disciple any longer. It's not even in Peter's writings, in John's writings, later writings. In Jude's writings, Luke's writings, Paul's writings, it's not there. Something happened. Because disciples are those who follow Christ. Can I help you today? I don't follow Christ, Christ lives in me. Where I go, He goes understand this righteous condition that you have, my family. You're not chasing him down as if you're you're never going to get there. No, he's in you. This was a mystery that was hidden before the ages and now has been revealed, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Where you go, he goes. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with God. One spirit. Where he goes, you go. See, uh, ooh, what a... This is what you get. This is what you get as the righteousness of God. You get justification. You get peace. And lastly, I'll finish with this. Verse 2 says of Romans 5, Through whom also we have access, that is through Jesus, through whom also we have access by faith. Everybody say by faith. Into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love grace because it is Nothing but a gift from God. Grace is not you getting what you deserve. It's you getting what God wants you to have. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Children of God have God on the inside. Disciples are followers, but children of God have God on the inside. Grace secures your future. Say that with me. Grace secures my future. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. This is the last scripture we'll go to. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded much more. Come on. Everybody give a good, whew. huh? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, which means your bad wasn't as bad as his good is good. Amen. You can't, <laughs> verse 21, keep going. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. See this? Grace is powerful. Grace might reign through what? Righteousness. What's righteousness? You. You're the righteousness of God, which means grace reigns over you. Grace reigns over you to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which means grace is in charge. The Word says that sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law. You're under Grace. King David is sitting in his house one day, sitting on his throne, and he remembers something. He has become the king of Israel. His longtime friend, Jonathan, was killed in battle years prior, and his king Saul. Killed together in battle, father and son. And David had such a relationship with Jonathan. They were so close. They had made covenant with one another. And one of the things that Jonathan asked of David was, when you take that throne, think about this. Jonathan has a right to the throne. He's the king's son. But he knows that David's the anointed king. And he readily accepts David as king. Now this is a true friend. Instead of vying for that throne, he's pushing David there. And He says, David, when you get to that throne, please remember to be kind to my family. Show kindness to my house. And this day... 2 Samuel chapter 9, you can read this story. David says, Is there somebody? It's like he remembered, is there somebody in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for my friend Jonathan's sake? Somebody tell, is there is there any is there any family? And this guy said, Yeah, there's a guy in a place called Lodabar. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's lame. And we know how you feel about lame people, David. I'll have to show this to you in the scriptures sometimes. David despised the lame at one time in his life, the crippled, because he saw them as cursed of God. He says, "But he's lame in his feet, as if, as if to say, "This will be all this conversation will be." But David said, "Go get him." So they sinned for Mephibosheth, and unfortunately, he was made lame because he was dropped. He was dropped as a, as a, it was somewhere around five years old. And when the Philistines had invaded, his nurse picked him up to run him out. And she fell on him and both of his feet and ankles were, were torn up and they didn't recover. And so he was lame in his feet, the scripture says. And they bring Mephibosheth and he's unkempt. He's just let everything just grow wild. It's like a wild man coming in there. And when he sees King David, he, the scripture says he hits his face on the floor Because he's expecting a sword to go across his neck here. Because, see, he knows that he possibly is a threat to the king because he's also a rightful heir to the throne. So usually what happens in a moment like this is the king's sons die so that they don't try to take the throne. So he's thinking he's going to die, and David says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. From this day forward, you're going to eat at my table. Not only that, your daddy's and your grandpa's lands, I'm making sure you're getting them all back. Thanks. And you don't have to worry about it because you're going to have people working for you. You're not going to have time to go do that because you're going to be sitting at my table continually. Yeah. Four different times in that little chapter, of 2 Samuel chapter 9, four different times it says, and he ate at the king's table continually. He shall eat at my table continually. Mephibosheth has right. done nothing. He has done nothing to earn a place at that table. Because if you were sat at the king's table, you earned that seat. You had some kind of victory, victory in battle, something. There was a flag that had your crest or, 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 it, or it was the symbol of your, your great achievement that gave you a place. But Mephibosheth did not have a flag. He didn't have something that I deserve. No, he's there because David made a promise. And he did it on Jonathan's sake to show kindness. See, oh, thank you, Lord. God has, for His Son's sake, for the sake of His Son, for the sake of His death, burial, and resurrection, has given you and I grace. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. You're all welcome to sit at the King's table, which secures continually, you will be sitting there, which secures your future in Him. That's what you get. Justification settles your past. Peace stabilizes your present and grace secures your future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this for this moment with your people. Thank you for what you've done for us. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for our sins. Today, if you have not personally accepted Jesus into your life, if you've not Identified with His death for your sins. Today, do that. You can do that right now in this moment. He died for your sins. You might have heard He died for the world. God sent His Son. He so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him. But when you say He died for my sins, now that brings you into a personal relationship. Today, it's just as simple as believing that Jesus died for your sins. And that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead the third day. When you believe that beautiful gospel, you are made new, brand new, born again. The old is gone and the new has come. A miracle birth takes place. Now this is a spiritual thing. Now you become a child of the living God. And he puts his spirit on the inside of you. Because he he not only wants to take you to heaven, but he wants to be in your everyday life right here to help you, to give you, to show you the victorious life that you have in Him. Because He came to bless you abundantly. If that's you today, let me encourage you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and all your household shall be saved. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Lord, I thank you even for those that are here in this moment that need healing in their bodies. If you're here today and you've got some kind of physical infirmity, pain, sickness, disease, whatever it may be, just slip up your hand I want to pray for you today. His anointing is here right now to bring healing to you. See, when Jesus Christ took those stripes upon his back, when that Roman soldier laid that first stripe, a healing fountain was opened up. And it is still in full force today. Because in the same afternoon, Christ died for your sins. His blood was shed for your sins. His body was broken for your healing. So now in this moment, Lord, I thank you for the manifestation of your healing power in Jesus' name. And every body, every tissue, every cell, and every fiber of their being. Surely, he has borne our sickness, our disease, our maladies, our calamities, and our anxieties. And carried our pains, both mental and physical. Hallelujah. He did that, so we don't have to. So we sit at the king's table, enjoy the benefits today in Jesus' name. Healing is yours in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And I pray for every household that's here, God, every family unit. I pray that peace and grace would be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who came in here today wondering, those who came in here today discouraged, Lord, and and not knowing, not being able to sense hope in their lives. And I pray now, God, that those clouds, those dark clouds would go away because with God, all things are possible. And God is on our side, which means we win in Jesus' name.